The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Opus Energy Insight on Barron's Live. I'm John Howland, Vice President and Head of the McCloskey Business Unit within Opus. Today, we're talking about cobalt, one of the main minerals used in battery technology, a key component of the energy transition to carbon net zero. Um, with demand for this commodity expected to skyrocket. The vast majority of cobalt is sourced from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. However, small-scale or artisanal mining in the countries associated with child labour and inhumane working conditions that has raised some significant social governance issues around the use of this critical mineral. Today, my guests are Benita Tambwe, expert head of digitization and partnerships at the Ministry of Mines of the Democratic Republic of Congo. We have Anna Wang, is the head of the impact head of impact at Gore Street Capital, a private equity firm uh, that is focused on renewable investments with one of the largest listed funds in energy storage. And Ashton Carter, Ashton is an expert in corporate sustainability and responsible mineral and metal supply chains. He is the director of the Fair Cobalt Alliance. In 2016, Amnesty International drew attention to child labour and, and the inhumane working conditions in the country's artisanal cobalt mining sector. Since then, Washington and Brussels have become more serious about the security of raw material supply and legislation excluding artisanal mining. This has seen large industry players um, rigidly exclude artisanal mine cobalt from their supply chain. While this exclusion helps their companies protect their supply chains and ESG risks, risks it does little to improve conditions those working in artisanal mines or bring grassroots development to the country. Ashton, can you give us some background on cobalt mining in the DRC, its importance in the global cobalt supply chain and the significance of artisanal mining in this supply chain? Yeah, um, thanks, John, and um, good morning, good afternoon, everybody who's uh, listening into this. As uh, John mentioned, cobalt mining um, in the DRC is very significant for the global markets. About 70% of the world's cobalt is recovered in the, in the DRC. And artisanal mining, the topic of today's conversation, is also a very significant part of that global production. It's about 10% um, of, the, of the 10 to 12% of that production in the DRC comes from artisanal uh, artisanal mining. At its height, back in uh, 2016, when Amnesty International wrote that piece, um, it was nearer to um, to 20%. So that 10%, that's, you know, that's roughly 10,000 tonnes of cobalt a year, or if you want to put a figure on that, that's in excess of a billion dollars a year, which is coming from artisanal mining. And all that cobalt flows directly in one way or another through different routes into the supply chains of electrical vehicles, into the batteries that you find in electrical vehicles. So it's significant in terms of production, but it's also significant in terms of what that means for the Congolese men and women, um, their families and their communities who um, recover this cobalt. 
it's about 150,000 to 250,000, depending on the price and the, um, the the benefit that they think they can drive from mining, um, comes from about kind of 40 artisanal uh, mining sites. Um, and sometimes these are in very harsh conditions because the men and women um, are prepared to take quite great risks to recover this cobalt, to, to cover this cobalt. And so um, in many ways, they are the heroes of the electrification of our global economy because they are prepared to take these risks. But they're seen, as John pointed out, sometimes as being the problem. And this is really a very unfortunate kind of stigma to place on a quarter million people um, just by based on their choices they've made it to make a livelihood for themselves and their families and their communities. And it's more unfortunate if we attempt, as some have done, to exclude the cobalt, which is mined by them, from the supply chain and remove them, remove from them their chances of making that living. So instead, what we should be doing is, is striving to help those communities and help those mines to actually improve those conditions at those sites so it can be safe and clean and provide a dignified living. And this is wholly attainable. Um, it, can be, uh, it can be a driver for local um, development, cobalt mining uh, at an artisanal level, and it can be a source of responsible minerals. But to do that, decisive action has to be, has to be taken. And as um, John said, you know, the, the demand is set to grow, um, some say up to 230% between 2022 and 2050. Um, so artisanal mining is going to be here to stay, and we should see this as an opportunity. And you ask, who are, this, who are the artisanal miners? And, you know, the artisanal miners, we know these, um, we know these individuals and these communities in our lives because they are um, taxi drivers, they are shop owners. Some of them have been um, teachers and continue to be teachers part-time. Um, so these are normal people trying to make a living um, in conditions where there are fewer choices that we have in our own economies. Um, so we really should be looking at them, looking at the situation of how we can help them really improve their lives through the cobalt mining that they have chosen um, to embark on. And Ashton, I mean, looking at the Fair Cobalt Alliance, um, <clears throat> What do you see as the best roadmap for that? And it's a question I'm going to um, also ask Benita uh, as well. Uh, obviously, very important here. Um, so, you know, just your views on that, Ashton. Yeah, I mean, I think the way to look at this is this is a shared problem. Um, by that, I mean the conditions that these workers sometimes have to um, have to um, have to put up with. And so, what we need for that is a collective response. And that is what the Fair Cobalt Alliance set, set out to do, is that we have galvanized through our membership um, entities, companies, and nonprofits along the supply chain. So we have companies in the, in the downstream, those manufacturers of cars and electronics, um, such as Google and um, Tesla and Fairphone, who have joined the Fair Cobalt Alliance, but also um, traders between um, them and the miners. And so on board too, we have Encore, um, uh, the mining company too, because they realize that um, if we are going to take decisive action and solve some of these these problems, we need to do it on the ground and we need to do it together. Um, and we also need to look at this in a systemic way. This isn't just an isolated problem that we can solve overnight. This is tied to the economic realities that some of these communities have to put up with. And so we have to look at the route as well. 
So what we do in the Fair Cobalt Alliance is take a kind of two-pronged two approach where we look at how we can secure better working conditions at those mines by providing PPE training and equipment and infrastructure so that they can make a more dignified living, but also to see how they, they can secure a more reliable income, not only on the mine itself, but also through savings outside of the mine and through alternative livelihoods. So I think we need to look at this holistically, we need to look at the route, and we need to look at what are the collective solutions that many people on the cobalt and the EV supply chain can participate in. Thank you. Um, Benita, I mean, what is the DRC's roadmap to formalize the artisanal mining sector to become small businesses? Because I think this is one of the routes where we legislation and everything else like that will help these, these industries or the, these participants. Well, thank you, John, for the question, and uh, thank you to the entire Baron and Opus team for making this webinar possible. So I'd just like to emphasize that as a Ministry of Mines, we really appreciate the opportunity to, um, to be on this platform, to give our opinions and perspectives, and hopefully to clarify the GRC's position on topics attracting this much media attention in our sector. So this is really important for us, and thank you for making this possible. And uh, to answer your question, I would say, it's a complex problem, like Ashton was saying, it's not something that will be solved overnight, but, um, and we're not here to deny what is happening on the ground to say, oh no, you know, it's not, it's not real, what is being said on the media. But what we're saying is uh, the DRC is making efforts, so there are things that are, we are working on to improve the situation currently. So um, as I speak, we have a strategy, um, a strategy, I mean, uh, with the Ministry of Mines, to formalize it because the idea even with the mining code has never been to um, encourage artisanal mines but it was to because people went there because of poverty and the idea was here is to take them from artisanal mine to uh, small-scale mining and to do that uh, it's important to understand that the GRC soil and subsoil contain various mineral substances whose deposit can be exploited both industrially and artisanally so depending on the technical, economic, or financial factors involved. So it really depends. It's never the same situation. And also, according to the DRC's mining code, artisanal mining is bound to progress towards more-scale mining businesses, like I was saying. And, uh, sorry. <clears throat> so the Congolese government is actually working to formalize, and the idea here is to make viable artisanal mining zones. Uh, we want to create more and more uh, artisanal mining zones, so zero out. We want to strengthen the capacities of artisanal miners. We want to organize artisanal mining and the cooperatives as organizational units. And we want to promote mineral processing and treatment facilities in country. So it's really important to understand that. And to do that, we have a couple of levels or steps we're taking. So one of them, for example, on an institutional level, we have um, created services, public services like CMAP, and Service uh, Geologique, so the National Geological Service, that um, oversees artisanal mines. That's the same epic. So they, we have a structure that is actually working on that to improve uh, the environmental aspect and all the different aspects in artisanal mines. And we also have the National Ge uh, Geological Service that contributes to the process of op opening up new viable artisanal mining zones. And lately as well, we have been making a lot of operational uh, progress. So, for example, we have um, the Ministry of Mines uh, Excellency uh, Antoinette Sambakalambai um, recently validated uh, the normative framework for artisanally 
uh, mines cobalt by the responsible minerals initiatives so that also is something that um, is there so it's actually um, uh, um, established series of environmental social and governance um, requirement for mining sites and the idea here is we want to taste um, this framework in a pilot project to see how it will perform and hopefully we can replicate it and um, and help uh, the formalization process. But apart from that one, we have, for example, the opera, uh, operationalization of the Entreprise Générale du Cobalt. So um, the idea here is we have uh, EGC, we have also what we call ARECOMS. So the idea here is to, again, improve the working environment, improve the uh, working conditions, but also what artisanal receives as payment. But also another, another thing that is really mentioned uh, in media, John, um, is usually when it comes to um, children in mining sites, right? So um, the DRC government set up an uh, interministerial commission on child labor and artisanal mining, which is called SISTEMA. And uh, we work with the US uh, Department of Labor, as well as um, the International Labor Organization. And we work at implementing the process of identifying and setting up um, artisan alternatives, sorry, options such as trade schools, uh, agricultural projects, intending to accelerate the exit of children and vulnerable people from the mines and their um, returning. So also, uh, I'll just mention two more things we're doing to, um, to, to change. So we have, for example, the uh, geological research zones, which uh, we also call ZDRG uh, by the National uh, Geological Service. So the idea here is to, uh, through various uh, geophysical and um, geochemical uh, prospecting projects, to improve the knowledge of our soil. So the more we understand that, the more we know what is uh, on the soil, the more we understand uh, the characteristics, the more we can tell artisans where to go, where not to go in order to avoid, you know, different uh, catastrophes that are happening in the moment. So um, last but not least, the Ministry of Mines is also initiating regular uh, brainstorming meetings with technical and financial partners working in the DRC mining sector. We have, for example, Verco Battalions with Ashton um, here. We have the World Bank, we have USAID, we have Cobalt Institute, RMI, GIZ, BGR. All these um, partners are there and we are working together to find the best way to harmonize our efforts uh, of the various stakeholders and test the impact of the various formalization initiatives suggested and implemented in the field. So we're working on it and we, um, we welcome any type of you know, support, any type of help to move forward. So it's only together, like Ashton was saying, that we'll actually be able to move from uh, artisanal to small scale mining. Thank you. Thanks, Benita. Um, I just take this opportunity. I'm going to come back to you on that one. Um, but um, I want to remind the audience to submit questions uh, in the Q&A bar. Um, um, undoubtedly, we've had a few before this, but undoubtedly there will be questions. And so please do that. Um, one of the questions I have, um, and it ties up really with um, what we're talking about, the Enterprise General General de Cobalt, uh, and the program they created four years ago um, to buy the ASM supplies. Um, how successful has that been? And also, this is one way of looking at a way to get a fair price for the artisanal miners. The other question that was linked to this as well from, from the audience, which I think is something we, we, we know we've got to hit head on 
um, is um, um, how much of the Congo's cobalt is controlled by the Chinese and how much illicit trading is happening behind the warehouses, as it were. Okay, so I'll try to um, respond. Um, I should say I Chinese. <laughs> just, to, mm. just to make sure, uh, remind me if I'm, I missed something. So coming first with the EGC, Entreprise Générale du Cobalt, um, it's true that it was implemented since 2019, but nothing has moved since. There was a lot of, um, um, of things going on. But uh, recently, I think a couple of months ago, a new board of directors were uh, nominated and we are hoping to see new things to move from them. So EGC um, would have the role to, like you said, uh, buy from artisanal. The idea here is to buy at a fair price, but also um, we are working with them at the Ministry of Mines to see how best we can um, combine, for example, the trustability initiatives we have with the partners um, in order for EGC to not only buy from artisanals, but buy from artisanals that are doing things correctly. So it is actually um, legal or it is, uh, you know, it is um, responsibly mined and it could be actually eventually uh, be sold to other companies around the globe. So the idea here is to work together with the other initiatives. But yes, the Entreprise Générale du Cobalt will have the responsibility to buy from, but can sell from uh, anyone else and um, potentially we can transform also um, in-house, like in the DRC. So when it comes to the second question, how much uh, Chinese um, companies are involved in the artisanal mining sector? Yeah. Is that the yeah. question? Well, I mean, it's a question really directed because, you know, the international companies are more aware of sort of like the um, um, the social governance standards and things like that around um, around this and you know, very much aware of the problems of um, of buying from artisanal miners where the same restrictions don't seem to be apparent for, for Chinese miners. So, you know, that's really and, and the, the, the question there is to try and bypass that issue, which is, you know, looking at these um, warehousing and, and, you know, government um set up to buy the cobalt at a fair price well um yes there are a lot of uh, chinese companies involved in artisanal mining sector that's not a secret um but it is not close to first of all the codes um the codes does not allow any non-congolese to work in artisanal mines so artisanal mines is strictly for congolese let's start there but chinese companies that are there purchase from the purchase from the artisanal Congolese miners that go there in, um, that go in those holes and you know bring the and bring the, the material the resource but it is not closed so what we actually um, understand when we see this type of questions is the DRC is not close to only working with Chinese companies but we will understand that historically um, the China has been is very present in our in our minds, they have invested a lot, and they are partners that are not you know that we cannot ignore or we cannot uh, you know we cannot try to work past. But it's open, like I was saying. EGC, for example, can work with um, with uh, I don't know. It can work with an American company. You know, EGC can work with anyone else. Any other company can come and purchase through EGC. Okay, our our artisanal mine cobalt. It's not only for um, our Chinese. But the message here for the government, uh, from the government is what we, we don't want um, 
same conditions happening currently with the so-called Chinese, because not only Chinese companies, but you know what is happening there, where you know people are not um, they they're not purchasing, for example, their goods at the right the right um, uh, price, etc. Those things. That's why we're trying to remove. So don't come and do the same thing, but come and do something different. Come if you can buy at a better price. If you can, uh, you know, buy at the right weight, because you mm. know there's a lot of that also happening. So. If you you're willing to invest in that sector, there is an opportunity to invest in that. It's not just limited to um, to Chinese or to Indians or, but try and do it. Come and do it in the right way. Got it. Thank you. I mean, it's a big challenge you have. I mean, what do you think is the single biggest challenge for for, for achieving these goals? Well, um, there are many challenges, I, I think, but the main one I would say. Uh, would be financial resources, all right? So um, the the reason we, even in the situation of artisanal mines is because of financial um, financial problems. You know, uh, communities feeling like you know they're not taking much from um, from our resources, so they go in there. They want to do something and actually mine and get something out of it. So financial resources for me would be the biggest challenge we have. But also, um, we could also mention the lack of deeper understanding of the soil and subsoil. So that also doesn't help because sometimes people will just go and work anywhere, anyhow, without considering all the environmental um, conditions, you know, around that or, you know. So um, I would say the lack of understanding of the soil and subsoil could be a problem. But also the nomadic uh, nature of artisanal mine, uh, miners. So it's really... Um, at the moment, what we're trying to do, we're trying to organize them into cooperatives so that they actually work as cooperatives, but it's not always easy. So sometimes you would identify, for example, children in this mine and thinking, you know, you're removing them, but the next day the same children could find themselves in other mines and it can be hard to follow sometimes. But so the nomadic um, nature could also make it a problem, but um, financial resources, I think, to my understanding, could be the main one. And this is where the Fair Cobalt Alliance can come in with, you know, with help from international players to help with the governance of this industry, right, Ashton? Yeah, and I think um, just picking up on what Benita said is very important to hear there's looking to one of the questions in the Q&A. It's not that the Chinese companies control it. It's because Chinese countries have invested in the, the, the mineral in the, in the mineral sector, in the cobalt sector in the DRC, <clears throat> but there's plenty of opportunities for others to invest in it. Um, you know, one of these mining sites can generate 50 to 100 million US dollars um, a year, one of these artisanal mining sites. And there's a lot of room, looking at Thomas's question in the Q&A there, for improvement um, on those sites to make it more efficient. When you make it more efficient, then you get an uptake in the, you get an uptake in the, in the, um, in, in the returns as well as you get an uptick in the improvements in the safety as well. So what we're trying to do at FCA is facilitate or enable the conditions on the ground there on these artisanal mining so they do become attractive for investments and that foreign investors come not just with the idea of um, raising operational standards, but also with the investment to put confidence into those sectors as well. So I think that's an important thing. And yes, absolutely, you see the FCA is working with the government to enable that, um, enable that outcome. Perfect. Thank you. Um, 
Anna, next question to you, just very conscious of time. And again, more questions for the audience if you, if you wish to put them through. I'm considering all these ESG concerns, um, but understanding, you know, at the heart of it that, you know, more money in the country is needed. Uh, as an impact investor, why are you interested in artisanal mining in the DRC? Thank you for inviting me um, for this conversation. Um, I think we have to first look at that we're transitioning from a fossil age to a new mineral age. And the role of cobalt, not just cobalt, but cobalt, nickel, gold, and other mine minerals are becoming increasingly important for a wide range of technology and green energy products. And there's a growing demand from our investors um, and those, those stakeholders involved with us for responsible minerals. And at the same time, there's also, as we've heard, persistent environmental and economic challenges facing artisanal and small-scale mining businesses and communities. Um, we know that much of the world's mineral wealth comes from the countries in the global south with difficult regulatory environments or a lack of governance capacity, meaning that we cannot rely on those materials to be mined responsibility, responsibly unless we take responsibility as consumers and as investors and make the investments to enable the practices that we want to see. Um, I think as investors in this green transition, it is our responsibility to work with partners like uh, the Fair Cobalt Alliance to look for solutions. It's not just it's not enough just to have the right policies. All of us have right policies around child labor, around corruption. Um, but all of us, particularly those in the sustainable energy sector, I think should be engaged in, in solving problems. And it, it is important for us to work to a place where, you know, extractive industries are not a dirty word anymore. And we can learn from our history with the fossil industry and to improve on how we operate, how we protect the environment and how we make the supply chain more sustainable and how we uh, distribute wealth. So considering all that, uh, how do you balance those ESG concerns and the potential reputational risks when getting involved? I mean, is that a concern for you as a company? It is a concern, but it, it you know, sometimes it's, it, the, that question almost sounds like it's a trade-off, but it's not. Mm. Um, ESG signals the inclusion of planetary health, equity, human well-being in our investment decisions. Honestly, a robust engagement with the issues around artisanal mining covers all of those. So it is part of our ESG strategy, actually. Reputational risk is certainly a consideration, but I think that kind of risk mostly comes from lack of understanding of the challenges of the mining sector and the complexity of the supply chain. We've heard just, I think we just scratched the surface with Benita and, and Ashton talking about that. I think you have to decide that you want to be part of the solution. And sometimes that involves taking risks. And I, speaking as an um, impact investor, as one that have worked with various impact investors, I think we're not shy about taking risks and being bold in the outcome that we seek. Um, I mean, I would think how we balance, going back to the question, how we balance the ESG concern and the reputational risk should be centered around who we partner with um, and being clear about our intentions and our expectations. And we want to partner with um, groups on the ground that have experience and expertise that we don't have, as well as the buy-in from the local community. And 
from Gore Street standpoint, um, uh, we are battery um, investor. Uh, we're clear that we're here to learn and we are here to support programs. And we hope by helping to support and improve artisanal mining practices, it will also have a you know, knock on effect, a substantial impact on the entire mining sector. Because I think because cobalt, you know, we're discussing is a hot topic now, why not use that as an example of how we can facilitate change? Um, and lastly, as investors, I mean, we understand everything comes at a cost, right? Safety equipment has a price, more, envi more environmentally sound practices have a price, equitable pay has a cost, formalizing and professionalizing the sector, which would make child labor redundant, certainly has a cost. And all of us have policies against child labor, but I think that's not enough. Um, the responsibility that we carry is to ensure that children are not just banned, but they can go to school, they can get taken care of. And that takes investments and long-term commitment. And I think as impact investors, we need to help unlock the power of capital markets for this because it will take investments um, to support all of this progress that's coming. And, and artisanal or small-scale mining is not going away. And we should seize the opportunity and make a human and economic impact. Exactly. And regulation within the country will help in decision making as well. I mean, I've got a, a question here from Augustine, um, who asks, uh, what governance models will the government adopt to clean up the um, to, to, to help the uh, artisanal cobalt mineral supply chain? Sorry, can you come back uh, with the question? Sorry, can you just come back with the question? Yeah, what are governance models? Sorry, can you hear me, Benita? Yeah, I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. What government's model will the government adopt to clean up, uh, to adopt in its progress um, to actually um, formalize the um, artisanal mining industry? Well, I think I mentioned earlier a couple of, uh, of things mm. that we're already doing to do that. Mm. Um, and, and I think Anna, um, Anna actually mentioned that as well. You know? So mm. there is a process to it, okay, like I was saying. There is a process, whether it's to um, to uh, to remove children from the mines, or there's a process. There's a whole thing we're looking at. We're looking at um, the regulations around it. You know how we will, we will place them. But there is a whole um, a whole strategy in place to formalize the sector. Um, and I'm not sure if I really understand the question, but there are like different efforts. You know, but. Also, the mining code, for example, talks about um, um, the pillars, you know, the mining mm -hmm. code, for example, talks about responsible, um, uh, social, uh, responsible, come on up at RSE, responsible social um, governments, like what the companies pay from, from the minerals, uh, from the, their activities. So in every area where there are um, industrial mines happening, you know, we have what we call um, RSE, so we have what we call uh, cahier de charge, we have what we call money that comes from these mines to help communities, you know, to help sustain communities living around in order to help them, you know, um, not stay the way they are to eradicate poverty, etc. But also we have, um, we have put in place um, uh, the fonds. We have, for example, the fonds minier, for mine, 
you know, that is there, that is existing to help future uh, generations, to help a future project that can happen for Congolese in the sector. So there are a lot of um, a lot of initiatives that are being tested currently. The thing is, the problem we have mainly at the moment is um, we need to start. We need to start testing the different uh, initiatives. We have a lot of good ideas, but we mm. are now in the process of putting them in place and seeing how you know uh, concretely it works on the ground. You know, so we we are planning on on we are we are looking at like things like um, Tamilombe site, for example. If that could be a site that can be used to test the different mechanism, the different initiatives, because ideas are there, but how do they actually work in the reality? I think that's what that's where the questions remain. So the next step as the for the government would be to uh, set up Camilombe, um, uh, hopefully, as a pilot project for the different initiatives in order to see how you know how it works or if it works at all. But yeah, there are efforts being made in that way. Got it. And so, really, I think what we're seeing here is that artisanal mining is here to stay within um, the Congo, the DRC. Um, there's various efforts being made to sort of formalize and regulate the industry. Um, how, I mean, is there a time frame in this that we can look at, Ashton, in any way? I mean, you know, where the concerns can be alleviated internationally and, you know, hopefully can drive more investment into the country? So, so I think we believe that artisanal money is just here to stay. As Benita mentioned in one of her previous comments, that, mm. that the vision that there is that um, it changed a little bit to become more mechanized and more efficient. And so what some people call small-scale mining rather than artisanal mining. So you might have some um, basic equipment there as well, but not to the extent that it eliminates um, jobs jobs completely. So I think your I think my answer to that is that you know there is this opportunity. We know that um, you know 70% of the cobalt that we rely on internationally comes from a DRC. So it's not as though this is spread around the globe and we can't identify the source. We know pretty much that most of that cobalt is situated in one part of the DRC and that the artisanal miners are, focused, are on you know, 40 sites or less. And you know, um, Benita mentioned the Camelombwe site, which is a site that the Fair Cobalt Alliance supports um, through our activities. So it's not as though we don't know where we need to act. What is need is what we need now is for people to act, to join um, organizations like the Fair Cobalt Alliance and others that are, are going on there to support the government in their efforts to implement their policies and their strategies. If we can do that, I think we can make um, extraordinary gains in the next five um, in the next five to ten in the next five to ten years. And in fact, I would say that we we need to do that if we want to maintain um, the idea of having responsible sources and sustainable um, transportation through electrical um, vehicles. But we really do need, um, as I think you've heard um, Anna and Benita and myself say, mm. to galvanise you know the collective along the value chain. Um, to make that happen. Yeah. And so the easy way out is is to um, restrict yourself to just, you know, large mining efforts, right, in terms of sourcing. But the, the just way to go for this is to embrace the artisanal mining sector and help regulate it and grow those companies and mechanize those companies as we go forward. I think that would be kind of a summation of what we're looking at here. Anna? That. Yeah, and I think the climate justice 
I it's you you talking about equity and justice. It's just mm. not about who benefits, right? Who benefits from this energy transition? Who benefits from, you know, easy access to aircon or electric cars? But actually, the whole the and everyone um, in this whole process, and hopefully, it includes. Uh, it will include the hundreds of thousands of miners uh, in DRC and elsewhere who are responsible for the the transition that we're on. Got it. And one last question, really, to Ashton. It comes from the audience here, um, and it's saying here, you know, um, does the panel foresee back? Well, to the whole panel, the battery technology development will reduce the demand for cobalt, and so therefore, this this problem will go away. So I, I didn't hear the first. Will the battery? Will does a panel foresee battery technology development will um, see a reduction in the demand for cobalt going forward? Question from the audience. Yeah, um, I mean, so, I, I got yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't make. I don't make my living. My living out of predicting um, kind of supply and demand of um, cobalt, but um, we speak a lot to those who who do, and for sure, there's a possibility of more of new disruptive technologies and different technologies which have been tested. But if you look at the ambitions that governments have around the world to electrify their, their, their transport and their fleets, even if there were to be a technology that did that, the demand for cobalt is going to be um, extremely strong over the next 20, 30, 30 years. Um, so, and you know, to me, when I look at it from a development point of view, that's 30 years, which is an amazing opportunity to drive development in the DRC, a country that we rely on for those minerals for our climate change ambitions. So why not figure out how we can galvanize resources that we need to catalyze that development at the local level for those small scale miners that are actually delivering this cobalt for us. And increase the wealth of the populace within the DRC itself. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Well, I think we are really about on time now and we're gonna to have to sign off. So. Um, Thank you for being here, uh, Benita, Ashton and Anna, um, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. Uh, can you please join us again on Monday? Our colleague, Barron's editor, deputy editor, Ben Levishan, will be speaking with Frank Calipari, founder of Technical Analysis from Cap Thesis, about the outlook for financial markets, sectors and individual stocks. Thank you for listening. Stay well and have a nice weekend. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.